Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong. And I'm Nathan Taylor. Welcome to ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands. So for November, what do you have for this month, Nathan? Well, Jenny, I'm going to be speaking with Jennifer Ewan. She's the executive director of the Marta Loop Justice Film Festival. So we see, we'll see what we have this year. And I have an interview with Jenna Rogers, director of Sherlock Holmes and the Raven's Curse at Vertigo Theatre. So today I'm with Jenna Rogers, a director of the play Sherlock Holmes and the Raven's Curse. So I guess tell me a bit about yourself as an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as an artist, I consider myself a mixed-race director and dramaturg. Um, I work a lot with new works. So I'm super excited to be delving into this world premiere with Vertigo Theatre. Okay. And so Sherlock Holmes and the Raven's Curse is a new play at Vertigo Theatre. So what is the play about? Yeah, it's a classic adventure, Sherlock Holmes play. Um, it is uh, a, a new story, so based on the character of Sherlock Holmes. It isn't one of Conan Doyle's books. Um, and it looks as Holmes and Watson journey to Sherlock's ancestral home in Scotland on the Isle of Skye. All right. The Sherlock Holmes and the Raven's Curse will be a world premiere in Calgary. So tell me a bit about the playwright R. Hamilton Wright. Yeah, um, our Hamilton Wright is going to be joining us uh, next week in the rehearsal hall. Uh, and so I haven't met him yet, and I'm really excited to meet him. He's been a delightful collaborator. We've been emailing back and forth for a little while. Um, Calgary audiences might recognize his work as he wrote, wrote the last Sherlock Holmes that um, Vertigo presented, which was Sherlock Holmes and the American Problem, which featured an Annie Oakley character in London. Um, but yeah, he'll be with us for all of next week, kind of working on the script and making small adjustments and becoming kind of part of our company. He'll hang out for a little while, then he's going to go back home and he'll join us again for opening night, so opening night of the world premiere, which is super exciting to host kind of an American playwright uh, in Calgary for a kind of a big show. What drew you to the play as a director? I really advocated to be able to direct this play. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a big adventure. I wanted something that was going to be challenging for me. And so um, this is a cast of eight people playing 12 characters, uh, which is going to be a really big show for me. I'm pretty excited about that. And on top of that, there's a new character being introduced into the Sherlock Holmes universe, who's Fiona McKenzie. And Fiona McKenzie is... Uh, in this world, as Sherlock is Sherlock Holmes's cousin, um, and she sort of serves as an intellectual foil to him, and she happens to be adopted in Chinese. And so I thought it would be a really cool thing as a person of Chinese ancestry to be working on the leadership of a play that also features a Chinese female character. What makes Sherlock Holmes a popular character and story to portray on stage on numerous occasions? Oh, man, what makes Sherlock Holmes a popular character? I mean... The stories, I feel like we all grow up with Sherlock Holmes sort of being the icon for mysteries. When you think of mysteries, you think of Sherlock, you think of the magnifying glass and the deer soccer cap. Um, and I think it's because the mysteries are all instantly classics. They're hard to keep up with. And he's such a strong character, right? He's just a little bit smarter than everyone, but he's figuring it all out through simple deduction. So it gives you, the audience, the idea that if you just pay 
really, really close attention. You might be able to see a detail that no one else has caught, and you might be able to do a little Sherlocking yourself. So I think, like, not only is he extraordinarily smart, he's really interesting to watch, and he's, like, relatable, that we have this idea that we might also be able to be a little bit Sherlock inside of us. Well, he's always portrayed as not a professional, like, uh, uh, cough, or he's more like an outsider to the... To the world of the police soft forces. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He's a civilian, which also is super helpful, I think, in kind of making him relatable. Um, you know, and not all of us are like master violinists, or um, but like I think I think that we do relate to being outside of like a formalized um, civic institution. Like his brother is working for the government, and you know he is always showing up, police, and and proving that that his insight and his value like is really really worthwhile and I think it's also a little bit different from like the private eye trope because he really does while he does take on clients and he does take on mysteries he also seems to do it for the fun of it or for his own personal fulfillment or enjoyment you know tell me about the cast members in the show you have uh, actors reprising their roles from a past Sherlock Holmes play yeah, that's right. So Brayden Griffiths will be joining us again as Sherlock Holmes, um, as well as Kurt McKinstry as uh, Watson, and Kathy Kerbis or Catherine Kerbis as um, Mrs. Hudson. And you'll have seen all three of these performers in Sherlock Holmes and the American Problem. They're a wonderful team of actors who really love working together. They're a lot of fun, and I think they bring something really special to these characters. So we're kind of going into this with like a yeah a new generation or like the next generation or however you want to call it of Sherlock performers in Calgary. So it's exciting to have that um, team of people back together again um, and to mix them up with some new folks as part of the ensemble. And I guess you mentioned uh, someone already. Are there actors new to the vertical stage? Yeah. Uh, so we have Garrett Ross, who's joining us to play Mycroft and Mowbray. Um, and we have Mike Tan, who Vertigo audiences will be familiar with, who will also be joining the cast with Connor Ferguson. We have Kristen Podias, who's doing her first show on a Vertigo stage, which is super exciting, playing the roles of Alice Rogers and Lucy Church. Um, and we have Rong Fu joining us as uh, Fiona McKenzie, and she's coming in from Toronto to play with us. So that's super exciting. I think that's everyone. In what way do recent television shows influence stage adaptations of Sherlock Holmes, such as Elementary and Sherlock? I think the BBC Sherlock and Elementary are both great, like, to help keep Sherlock accessible to contemporary audiences. Um, You know, I think that there's a a whole generation of people who perhaps haven't um, been exposed to the Conan Doyle books, but have been exposed to Sherlock Holmes and that, like, lore and mythology through um, these television series. And I think that that's really important um, to kind of keep celebrating works of fiction and finding new ways to, um, you know, engage audiences and communities um, in, like, literature. And, like, could we call, I was about to say in classic literature, and, you know, can you call Sherlock Holmes classic literature? Um, and I think I think you can, and I think it's exciting that, that there are new generations like um, staying engaged with the story because it's something then that you can connect. Like these are stories that you can then connect um, with your parents about and with your grandparents about. Um, And that's an exciting thing when you have characters that are beloved um, for years and years and years. 
And Carl Sine is a well-known fight director on Kaui Theater Stages. So tell me about working with him on Raven's Curse. Yeah, I'm super excited to work with Carl Sine. He's a wonderful man. Um, we just spoke this morning um, about a handful of the scenes that we're going to do. And I don't want to give too much away, um, but it's really exciting to welcome Carl uh, back to Vertigo, the Vertigo stage as part of the team. And I know he's going to um, enliven some of our fights and spectacle with some real uh, punch, pardon the pun. And so uh, anything else you would like to s- uh, say about uh, your role as director or the show? I've assistant directed a bunch of shows at Vertigo, and this is the first show that I am directing at Vertigo Theater. And I think that this is super exciting. It's super exciting for me um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, an incredible team um, of designers and performers and yeah, fight directors who are going to help bring this show to life. But it's also important, I think, in the landscape of Calgary Theater that a company like Vertigo is giving a new director a chance at the show. Uh, and it's going to do uh, a ton to help grow me as a director in this community. And I think it is a big commitment from Vertigo to say that like they're opening the doors to another generation of, of creators and makers. And so I really want to thank Vertigo for that opportunity and um, uh, to really encourage Calgary to come out and enjoy Sherlock Holmes and the Raven's Curse. All right. Thank you very much, Jenna, for your time today. Thank you, Jenny. It was so lovely talking to you. That was my interview with Jenna Rogers, director at the Vertigo Theater. Sherlock Holmes and the Raven's Curse is from November 9th to December 14th at Vertigo Theater, located at the base of the Calvary Tower. For tickets and more info on the play, visit vertigotheater.com. And now for our musical interlude. This is off of the Dutch Masters Best of Focus. And uh, you might not have heard this one, folks. This is Hocus Pocus the fast version. Hope y'all enjoy.
That was Focus with their fast version of that single of theirs, Hocus Pocus, off of their best of album. Uh, It's called Dutch, Dutch Masters, and it's from 1975. So for my interview, I'm going to be speaking with Jennifer Ewan. She is the executive director of the Marta Loop Justice Film Festival. They've been going on since 2006, and we're here to catch up with what's happening this month. Well, thanks for joining me here today. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I appreciate it. So I'd like to ask, the Martaloupe Justice Film Festival, you've been around since 2006. Can you give us a little bit of background about what the festival is and its history? Sure. Uh, this is our 14th year. And back when we first started, there was a group of people operating out of the uh, River Park Church, uh, congregation members, actually. And they decided that uh, Alberta and Calgary in particular needed some kind of um, a film festival to bring awareness to people about different environmental and social justice issues. They felt the best way to do that was through stories, which the documentaries lend themselves really well to. It, it, it's like an entry point into a conversation. Again, all our venues are um, donated to us, which is fantastic. And then through the sponsors that we have locally and donations and a couple of grants, we're able to fund whatever operating expenses that we, we have. And I also see that uh, on your website, uh, it mentions 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So an example for these films, they all have a, a running theme of these 17 goals. So for instance, clean water and sanitation, responsible consumption and production, or uh, gender equality. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how this format came into play and how it's been rolling along? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the United Nations uh, Calgary branch um, is one of our partners. And... As part of our partnership with them, we decided last spring to be a little bit more um, proactive in utilizing the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So now when we are doing our programming and selecting films, we use that framework to classify all our films. So we usually come up with one main one for a film and often a second one. And that guides how we group them and think about the films that how do they fit into this format. You know, just as an aside, can I ask, about how many submissions do you get? Oh, anywhere, at least 500, and sometimes more. Wow. Uh, and so you play, what, about 15 films out of out of 500, something like that? Yeah. This year's is a bit low, 15, just because the uh, many of the films are feature length. They're an hour to an hour and a half long. Uh, in other years, we've gone to as many as 24 to 26 films, if they're shorter films. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let's get into the films, uh, starting with the, the first day. Uh, Assholes, A Theory. This is a fairly infamous slash famous book that has been finally turned into a documentary. Let's talk about it. Sounds good. So uh, can you tell the listeners what is the main gist of Assholes, A Theory? Uh, the main gist is to describe how the culture, they, what uh, John Walker describes as the asshole culture, how it can perpetuate and express itself in many social justice issues. So it starts in uh, sometimes in the way children are are brought up and gender stereotypes into things that happened in the boardroom, uh, gender equality, inequality, I should say, and how it uh, it can snowball up into the highest levels of our government. Um, this this idea of entitlement that that assholes <laughs> have and um, and and how it yeah, how it how it perpetuates itself and in, in social justice issues. Um 
I tried reading the book. It wasn't entirely successful, although it was interesting. I'm just not very good at reading philosophy type texts. But mm-hmm. what I thought was quite interesting about it was uh, sort of the concept that um, you, the, basically you're an asshole because you are old enough to know better. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Um, I would agree with that. Uh, he talks a lot in the film about how being an asshole is a choice. <laughs> and often people who have that set of uh, you know, personality characteristics are, are quite proud of, of operating in that way. Well, you have some guests uh, going on, like we've only started with the first film, but let's talk about assholes of theory. You're, you're getting some royalty for this particular film. We sure are. Uh, John Walker is the director of Assholes, and he is coming all the way from Halifax to be the guest speaker after the film for us. So very exciting. I would love to hear him talk about why he chose that to make a film of. I would too. (laughs) I can't Uh, wait. And and just so people know, that is the first night. That's November 12th that this is airing. That's correct. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then the next day, uh, the, the 13th, you have Trump phobia. Can you talk about that? Yeah, Trumpphobia, What Both Sides Fear, is um, a film where we have another director coming, Carolina Sosa. And uh, Trumpphobia is it's a bit of a misnomer in that it's not really so much about Donald Trump, per se, as it is about how um, the, 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 let's call it the far right and the far left, um, how they can come together and, and have a conversation that will make uh, it a, a little bit less divisive. And that's what Carolina Sosa has tried to do, is try to portray what happens when uh, there's sort of mediation between these two groups. That sounds like that would be a pretty gosh darn good thing to hear from her, because I can't imagine what that would even look like. Yeah, it's a very interesting film, another one that's a, a must-see, and uh, we're really excited to have her as the director come and talk about the film after. Cool. Uh, And uh, Mm -hmm. Q&As are in these talks as well? That's right. Yeah. So we show the documentary first and then following we have a moderated uh, Q&A session with the audience. And our format's a little bit different in that we don't just invite a guest speaker to come and, and, you know, say their spiel. It's directed by the audience. So this is the audience's chance to ask questions and then our speaker replies to them. So it's very much uh, grassroots and whatever the audience wants to talk about. Well, and then the final... uh special guest that we were talking about off air is for the uh, documentary The Need to Grow and you have Michael Smith coming in. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the film and who Michael Smith is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Need to Grow is uh, is an excellent film. Uh, This one just blew me away. It is about, basically it's about the fact that our our topsoil is being diminished to the point where you know things just don't grow in it anymore without artificial inputs. So Michael Smith is a a brilliant engineer. He's worked for NASA. He's worked for Walt Disney. He's done uh, lots of different um, physics type projects all around the world. He decided to use his knowledge to come up with um, a a biological solution, a closed loop solution on how to regenerate soils. Um, It's a bit more complicated than I can probably explain accurately, but it takes uh, biomass as a fuel. And then there's uh, algae pools that then can fuel the sort of fertilization of food, like a a agroponics type of a situation. So fascinating story and uh, very exciting that um, there is a businessman here in Alberta that is going to be our moderator, his name is Grant Kalba, and he's good friends with Michael. And 
he wants to bring that technology here to Alberta. So it's really exciting that Mike, Michael's going to come up here and, uh, and answer some questions. And, you know, hopefully we'll see this kind of uh, technology come to our city. The, uh, uh, the film, uh, The Need to Grow, had a pretty good website. Uh, you can click on all the people's names and see what they're associated with and see what their expertise are. I, I quite liked uh, browsing it in, in advance of this interview today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tanner Stewart is, uh, is the executive producer, and he is also going to be in attendance for the uh, post-film Q&A. And he himself is a, um, involved in Canada's vertical farming and agroponics industry. So got some skin in the game and can probably answer some good questions there. Living in a small apartment, the vertical space becomes very important. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so I'd like to pivot over to these uh, two films that kind of, I think, go together pretty well. Uh, they seem to be about ecology and far-flung communities and the need to respect and revere our wilderness. Uh, so let's talk about The Sacred Place Where Life Begins and The mm-hmm. Whale and the Raven. Could you tell us, uh, you know, where these films take place and what we can expect from experiencing them? Sure. Um, Sacred Place Where Life Begins is uh, filmed in Alaska. It's actually right on the border uh, of the U.S. and Canada. And uh, it's about the um, caribou uh, herd and the uh, indigenous peoples that uh, have acted as stewards for the land in that area for 25,000 years and the impact that industry and uh, particularly oil and gas exploration has had on them and, and the wildlife in the area. The pictures on that particular website, they look like um, land, like from taken from the air, it looks like land made of copper with these, these small snaking uh, you know, mm-hmm. streams fl- flying through it. It looks utterly amazing. And, uh, you know, just sort of to pivot maybe right away to the mm-hmm. other beautiful looking film, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Whale and the Raven. I mean, this one is another one that just seems like, uh, you know, high def. You want to sit as close to the front as possible. They look absolutely beautiful, but there is a sort of a dark underside to it, is there not? Yeah, that's right. They are visually stunning films. Uh, incredible. And The uh, the Whale and the Raven is... Um, is, is beautiful in another sense in that the, the audio in the film is incredible because this is all about uh, the sounds of whales and how they communicate with each other, how they communicate under the water and the impact that, um, you know, vessels and barges and, and, and water traffic can have, can impact that communication. So it's a very, um, yeah, auditorily stimulating film as well as visually. Cool. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look at... Uh, sort of speeding through the rest of the, the films here, we're sort of uh, sure. running out a little bit of time. Um, sure. I want to hit just quickly uh, Six Primrose, which mm-hmm. seems to be about a place where folks with in vastly different places in their lives come together to celebrate food and a good meal here in Canada. Yes, absolutely. Um, another fantastic film. I actually just watched this one uh, recently. So it's still fresh in my mind. Um, it is, it's a, well, for, for one thing, it's Canadian, which is always great to have Canadian content in our films. And it's about a community center uh, in Dartmouth. And the group of people that come together, that grow their own food, prepare the food, and then eat the food together as part of a, a community center in a, in a very poverty-stricken part of our, our country. So it's addressing issues more than just um, more th- more than just poverty. There's mental health. There's uh, community, you know, community um, feeling a part of a group that's that's at the core of this. It really seemed like the good feel good movie of of your your output this year to me. Is definitely, that... definitely, yeah. There's there's several that are, but it it is one of the the ones right up there for sure. 
Well, look, uh, I want to hit two other aspects of uh, the film festival. One is the Peace Village. What is that? Yeah, the Peace Village is a uh, non-government organizations that we we set up into the in the gym, and you can have a table or a booth, and it is a way to move from learning about a topic through the film and from the conversation, the post-Q&A, to finding out what you can do locally here in Calgary, how you can um, perhaps get involved or learn more about a subject. There is uh, There are information booths, and there's also, it's a bit of a marketplace as well for items that are um, focused on, you know, sustainable living, uh, you know, plastic-free and ethically sourced items. So it's it's nice. It's a place that you can come, you can browse, you can do a little bit of uh, Christmas shopping if you're in the mood and and learn more about um, some of the subjects you've learned about in the film. Well, look, thanks, Jennifer, for coming out here and talking to us. I understand that you have a, a call that you'd like to put out as well. Yeah. Um, for anybody out there listening, uh, I was uh, contemplating how to, to approach this topic. And I thought, you know, the best way to describe this film festival is that Films are like an access point to activism. If there is something that you've always been interested in but just not sure how to get involved, come to the festival, watch films, learn about some new topics, and see how you can get involved with our festival and help out. We always, always, always need people to do everything from handing out flyers to uh, serving food to sales tables to whatever. And this is a great way to meet fantastic people that are like-minded. You heard it here, folks. The Martaloupe Justice Film Festival runs from November 12th to the 17th, and I hope you uh, do respond to the call. Thanks a lot, Jennifer, for coming out. Yeah, thank you very much, Nathan. Thanks for having me. That was Jennifer Ewan, Executive Director of the Martaloupe Justice Film Festival, which runs from November 12th to the 17th at such locations as the Central Library, the Plaza Theater, and the River Park Church Auditorium. All the films are free, first come, first serve, and you can check out their website with all the details at justicefilmfestival.ca. And for the final song of this uh, edition of ArtsLink, here is The Bell Rays from their album Have a Little Faith. This is Maniac Blues.
haters in my dreams. I'm too tired of fighting, too tired to go to sleep. I cut my throat on his edges and I bleed from his wounds. If I'm running forever, I'm not running soon. Oh no! That's it for this month. We'll talk to you folks again in December.